Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. When I was in Africa, uh, starting at the end of April and then in the beginning of September, while I was there, my 90-year-old father died while I was in Africa, and I think most of you know that. And it's sad, but it was actually really joyful. He had the best going home I think you could ever have. So it was one of those definitely bittersweet times, sweet because of the way the Lord took him, and he basically, his last words were to squeeze his wife's hands and say, I love you, close his eyes and go to heaven. I mean, how do you want to go to heaven at 90, full of strength and joy and life? It was, it was very good, and she had given him the blessing to go, and um, he, did, he did, he went. And last week, on Saturday, we had a wonderful memorial celebration, um, food and stories and family and fellowship. I had a lot of nieces and nephews in town. I haven't slept a lot because we were up all night all the time, just hanging out, just fellowship. It was really, it was actually a beautiful time. And then on Monday, I drove to Pueblo, Colorado. Has anyone ever been to Pueblo, Colorado? Just one, two. Beautiful, beautiful place, but man, a 17-hour drive. So we drove there for mom. Um, she's, she's, she's my dad's wife, but she was his wife for 32 years, so I call her mom. Because she really was a second mom to me after my mom passed away 30-some years ago. Anyway, um, moved her to Pueblo to live with her daughter, which she's excited about because she's a block away from the house she grew up in. So she's like home. She's happy. You know, i got to say this. I think it's related to what we're going to talk about. When my dad died, she... Well, I have to tell you the story. So... (laughs) Some issues were happening. He was sitting in his chair. He knew he was having heart failure. And she, he, she knew it too. And he said, don't call 911. He didn't want to have all his ribs broken again from CPR at 90. That had happened a few years earlier. And um, she prayed and said, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord said, you know, you need to give him permission to go. She felt that. And she looked him in the eyes and said, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. He squeezed her hand and said, I love you. She said, I love you too, but I got to go to the bathroom. She went to the bathroom, came back, you know, just moments. And there he was looking like he was asleep, but he was, had left his body. And her word in response was this, thank you. Thank you. She was so at peace, so in joy with the presence of the Lord. Because the Lord had taken care of her. I'm telling you, if you don't know the Lord, you're hearing me, and you fear death, you got to meet the Lord. Because he takes away the fear of even death. It's really remarkable. Um, I mean, it's the truth. It's actually, if you know the Lord, the day you die is the best day of your life. <laughs> because you get to go in the presence of joy itself. The presence of the Lord. So anyway... All that to say, those of you that have been praying for me, for my family, thank you. Your prayers have carried us, and we're doing really well with the Lord. We really are. So I'm going to talk, I think, about joy today. 
and the title is called The Cost of Joy. I had another message in mind on Friday night, but when I woke up Saturday morning, I felt like the Lord said, no, that, that was the wrong message. I've got something else to talk about. And I read and studied and prayed, and I said, okay. And so there were some thoughts that I have about kind of an interesting title, The Cost of Joy, but just kind of conversation starter. I wondered this. Do any of you like Disneyland? Who likes Disneyland? Raise your hand. You do. I'm, I think we're becoming a minority. I like Disneyland too, but a lot of people are like, I hate Disneyland. <laughs> do you like Disneyland, Dustin? I heard you're going to Dust Disneyland this week. Tuesday. And Wednesday. Are we the only four people in the whole building that like Disneyland? Wow. Okay, well, you like Disneyland, Trina? Okay, good. And, and Okay, good. What does it cost to go to Disneyland? I looked it up yesterday. So not only does it not just cost a lot, but it costs more on certain days. They've got like a calendar. And it, it can cost anywhere from like, let's see, for the park hopper ticket. What was that? 65 169 up to 240 something dollars per person. So if you want to take your family of four, you're thinking a thousand dollars that you're going to believe for right away. And then food. What's food cost there for those really bad hamburgers? <laughs> Why do people go to Disneyland? For joy. You're pursuing joy. You really are. In fact, what is the byline? on the sign that says Disneyland is the happiest place on earth, which probably isn't true, but it's a good uh, sales technique. People are willing to spend money if they think they're going to get joy. Have you noticed that? You, you want joy. If you don't want joy, you need therapy. Because uh, you were designed... For joy, you were designed by the most joyful being in existence. God is the most joyful person there is. Did you know that? I mean, he's, he's full of joy. The, the psalm says, in his presence is fullness of joy. So when you get to heaven, if you don't like joy, you don't want to go to heaven. Because you are going to be surrounded by joy. Okay, so those of you that don't like Disneyland, what, do, you, do you have a favorite vacation? Legoland. Lego, are you kidding me? Legoland? Who said that? Really? You love Legoland? Tommy, that's the way. What, uh, how about Mexico, like Puerto Vallarta? Cabo San Lucas? Hawaii? Harry. Where? You just, you camp anywhere, you're happy. Dude, do you like hike at Yosemite? Do half dome and the whole thing? Not so much the half, just being there, right? The waterfalls, oh, and I think they're probably really running right now, right? Uh, when I was um, newly married, Kim's parent, I'm married to a lady named Kim, if you don't know, really cool, better half than me. She's at the retreat right now. And her parents wanted to go on one of those European tours where you see like 13 countries in 12 days kind of thing on a tour bus. And it, I think, this is like the 90s, I think it cost like $5,000 for us to go in the 90s, which was a lot of money back then. But it was really awesome. Still, the memories are there almost, well, 25 years later. People 
spend money if they think they're going to get joy. So that was kind of in the background of my thinking as I was reading some scriptures on Sunday. I'm not on Sunday, on Saturday morning. And I've just got some thoughts that talk about the cost of joy, but some, some folder thoughts on that. And let me say this. If we were to look through the Bible and just do a really good study on joy, it would take us probably months. You ought to maybe sometime just start reading the Bible and circling the word joy, rejoice, glad. Those three words. There's a lot from the beginning to the end about joy. Does it, can anyone think of any verses that have the word joy in them? Consider it all joy, my brethren, you fall into trials of many kinds. James 1. What else? The joy of the Lord is our strength. When, <laughs> anyone old Christian? Who's, who's been a Christian for 40 years? Do you remember when the church entered that phase where we started moving away from hymns toward the kind of songs we sing now, but on the way we did jingles? They were more like commercial jingles. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Remember that one? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Anyone knew that one? I mean, that's what we sang. And it was a happy song, and we did a happy kind of dance like this. We kind of bounced. Ron, you're really weird today. Okay. Better pull it in. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. The joy of the Lord. What another verse on joy? Ooh, Acts 14. The disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Continually. Another one? Oh, the angel shows up announcing the birth of Messiah, and everyone's terrified. Oh my gosh, the sky's filled with angels, like the alien invasion. Are they going to destroy us? And they go, no, stop, be relaxed, be at peace. We bring you great tidings of joy for all the people. I probably quoted it wrong, but I got kind of the, the gist of it. Angels filling the skies, worshiping, singing praises to God. And they tell the fearful people, don't worry, we're bringing you news of joy. Maybe one more. Maybe not. Rejoice in the Lord always. A command, really, to rejoice. Okay. Well, you just made my case of kind of the first idea that I want to say. God is into joy. If you have a view of God that misses the fact that he's into joy, I'd like to you to review your view of God. Because, by the way, what you think about God impacts everything about your life. And if you know that God is into joy, it might change how you live. You might start out tomorrow different if when you wake up you think the God that's in charge of everything is into joy. That's, that's good news. Do you know that Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 1, speaking of who Jesus is, says this, quoting a psalm, but to the Son, God says, by the way, there's a Trinity verse here too, God speaking to Jesus, the Son, calling him God. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, speaking of Jesus, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and you hate evil. Therefore, O oh God, 
your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Now, you picture a king in the old style, the old covenant, being anointed when the prophet comes and pours oil on his head, right? And now Jesus, being enthroned as king, has a special kind of oil. It's the oil of joy. Anyone want some oil of joy? I'd like that, yeah. How about this? Romans 14, where Paul is trying to tell the church at Rome, listen, I want you to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not all about making sure you eat the right ceremonial foods or worship in the right way or do everything according to you know, some rules of worship and order. He said, no, no, no. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. God is into joy, and he's about your joy as well as his joy. Uh, yeah, this is not in my notes, but it kind of hit me in the head just now, so I'll tell you. Um, a really great preacher, he's recently passed on, but he was in New York City for decades. Um, Tim Keller said something like this about God's happiness. He said, have you ever, can you remember, because you probably have experienced this, falling in love with someone? And you just have joy when you think about her or him. And, um, I mean, you wake up thinking about them. You go to bed thinking about them. You can't be, wait to be with them. When you're with them, you just enjoy it. And then you discover they feel the same way about you. That is extreme joy to be in love and find out that you're, they're in love with you. Just think about it, he said. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, live like that eternally one loving the other, loving the other, loving the other, loving each other, full of joy. And probably the reason they created us is because they wanted to expand their joy by having more people to be loved and to love them back until there's this ever-expanding circle of love and peace and joy. God is full of joy. But there's a bad guy in the story named Satan who wants to steal your joy. Jesus said it this way, the thief's purpose, speaking of Satan, the thief's purpose is to kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them, you and me, a rich and satisfying life. Just don't miss that, by the way. If you're thinking, what's God's purpose for me? Oh, to give me a rich and satisfying life. Well, that's not a bad deal. And I think that might be part of a definition of what joy is, a rich and satisfying life. Life to the full, abundant life. The, the word that's translated joy there, from Greek, shows up 60 times in the New Testament. The word, the verb form to rejoice, 74 times. Now, I, I suppose that's an interesting stat. It is to me. It says that God talks about joy a lot. Now, I guess we should ask this question, what is joy? The emotion, of, the emotion of hope, that sounds like a piperism, is it? Jack Hayford, John, Jack, well, just as good as John Piper. Joy is the emotion of hope. What, what else? What would you say joy is? Joy is laughter. Isn't that the truth? If you have too much joy, you have to laugh. Um, I think when the Bible says he gives us joy unspeakable, I think when it becomes unspeakable, it's because you have to laugh, Right? What else? What's joy? Harry. 
Joy is the undertow of the river of happiness. You guys are smart people. It's a what? A form of defense against suffering. Well, that's interesting. I like that. So you're suffering. You're going through hard times. And the times don't change, but you've got joy. So you overcome the hard times because you've got joy in them. And it sustains you. You guys are good preachers. Okay, so you hear me quote often one of my favorite guys for writing, Dallas Willard. He's a theologian and professor, and a professor of philosophy. He said that joy is, the short version is, a pervasive sense of well-being. The longer version, I had to write down to read, he said, joy is not the mere sensation of pleasure. It is a pervasive, constant, unending sense of well-being that flows from the vision, the grace, righteousness, and hope. True joy is robust, even including outright hilarity. We can experience the joy of being in God's kingdom even in the midst of suffering and loss. Okay, so if Satan is out to kill and destroy and steal your joy, how does he do it? Lies. Lies. Just lies. Okay, that works. That's a start. We're going to expand that more. How, how, what do you think, Kevin? Ooh. Satan tries to steal your joy by putting shame on you. Have you ever felt guilty for something that you didn't even do? <laughs> Satan will do that. He's such a deceiver, he will make you feel guilty if you fall for it, for something that you're not even guilty of and then get you shamed about it. What, 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 how else do you think? What, what's Satan up to? Say it again loud. Corruption? Yeah. So here's what I think. I think that Satan's main tactic, and I'm getting this from Genesis, is to convince you and me that the way to get joy is to pursue our desires. That's step one. Step two is then tempt us with desires for things that God disallows. Have you ever been tempted to desire something that God says, don't do that. Remember Eve and Adam? Don't eat that fruit, Satan. You ought to eat that fruit. But God said not to. Well, God, you know, can you trust him? But he said not to. He said we'd die. Oh, no, he's lying to you. In fact, if you eat that fruit, look at how good it looks. Smell it. Mmm, shiny, delicious. You ought to eat it. Okay, I'll eat it and disobey God. You ever been tempted? To desire something that you think, man, that would be so good to do that, when God said no. I think that's how Satan steals our joy. And we fall for it quite easily. And the problem is misplaced desire there. Because God has for us joy unspeakable. And if we're smart, we'll desire his kind of joy. And then we'll figure out how to get there, and there'll be some cost involved. Okay, so here's a couple scriptural thoughts related to the cost of joy. I'm going to tie two things together. The first is Jesus telling the parable. Parable is a, is a short story that could be real from your real life, but it's designed to teach a principle. He said, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again quickly. 
in the field, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had so that he could buy the field. He, he didn't do it like, oh, what a bummer. I've got to sell everything I have to get this field. I guess I have to. Okay, God. But no, he was like, I get to sell everything I have to get this treasure, which is worth like a million times more than everything I have. I'm going to make the purchase. This is the best deal in life. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Now watch this. Jesus living out that deal. Hebrews 2, or 12, I'm sorry, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Why would we fix our eyes on Jesus? As an example to know how to live. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's his example. For the joy that was before him endured the cross. Scorning its shame. And then in the end sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus paid a price for joy. Apparently, he was willing to sell everything he had to buy the field for the treasure in it. And unbelievably, I sat before him this morning and said, really? You and me were such a treasure in this field called the earth that he said, I'll, I'll give my life to buy that field because I want to get Thelma and Doris and Bob and Dee and Harry and Kevin and Shannon and Rick and Ramon and all y'all and me. I want to, I'm willing to pay the price for the joy. Now we're starting to hone in on the cost of joy. I take this from those two things, those two verses. The field, the treasure, sell everything that the cost of joy is complete and utter trust in God. So much so that I'll do whatever he says, no matter the cost, because I know that in obeying him is joy. The cost of joy, I'm going to give you two costs at least. The first cost is submitting your life fully trust in him. You know, we say, have faith in God. Put your faith in Jesus. That means you trust him with your life so you do whatever he says, even if you don't understand it, even if it seems like the wrong thing for you, even if it means to deny the thing that you desire, because you trust God and you believe that if you will submit everything to him, you'll sell everything to get the field. You'll even go to the cross for the joy. Because of the joy at the other end of the cost, you do it. And out comes joy at the end. Have any of you ever experienced that? Think for a moment. In your life, where God required something of you. And it cost you something. And you trusted him and you obeyed him. And at the end of it, it was like the end of the rainbow, there was joy. You've experienced that? That's the way to live. I'm thinking that if God's all about joy and he's all about my joy, I ought to trust him. 
and obey him. Do you remember the children's song, Sunday School, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. What's the next line? To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Wisdom in Sunday School songs. Trust and obey. John 15, verse 9, Jesus talking to his disciples. In John chapter 15, that's the great passage where Jesus says, I'm a vine, you're branches, my father's the gardener. We have a vineyard, I'm the vine, you're the branches off the vine, my father's the gardener. Remain in me, because if a branch were broken off the vine, it would just wither and die. But if it remains in the vine, if it abides in the vine, it will be fruitful. That whole passage. In that section, Jesus says this. Well, listen to these words. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, trust and obey, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now listen to the motivation for that whole concept. I have told you this, so that my joy, Jesus is God, the happiest being in the universe. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The cost of joy, more than the cost of going to Disneyland, <laughs> is to completely trust God with my whole life, to learn his will and say yes to it, to not disobey him when he tells me not to do something that I think I really want to do. You have this choice all through life. Tomorrow, probably, Satan's going to tempt you to do something that God says, don't do that. And you'll have a choice. And I want to put before you this. It's not about, well, I better buckle up and obey God because I don't want to be punished or go to hell or something. How about this? I want to obey God because I want joy in my life. And if that's the only cost, I'm going to go for it. I think that's how it works. Okay. Oh, I have a, I have a video for you. Um, I was in Africa, I told you, and the day I got there, went out to the playground. Those of you that know Breath of Heaven know there's a playground kind of in the center of the village. And a brand new boy, he's been there since March, named Gift. They named their kids so cool in Africa. His name is Gift. Ran up to meet me. Big smile. He wanted to talk with me and told me his name is Gift Lambe. My name is Gift Chiwala, but I call myself Lambe because I don't like the name Chiwala. He was 13 years old, full of joy, and he could not stop talking. And immediately, want to see my room? He takes me to his room, um, shows me, uh, this is the bed I sleep in, this is the room I'm in, and um, if you don't know, th this is an orphan care facility where kids that have been orphaned have a family-like life in a beautiful village, and they live in a home that's not like one of our homes, four-bedroom, uh, one-bedroom for a house mother who lives there full-time, she's a widow, that's being ministered to by ministering. And then 12 kids, those three bedrooms, double bunk beds, four kids in each room, and they have this family experience. So Gift shows me, he pulls out under his bed his artwork. 
where he's got little canvases and he's been painting and he's so excited. And he tells me this. He says, four times I've had a dream that I'm going to be a pastor. And people make fun of me. But I, and I'm like, if God gave you a dream gift, I think it's going to come to pass. So anyway, watch his story. Can you show that video now? It's like three minutes, so I'll give you the few. By the way, oh, go ahead, show it. And then I'll talk more. My name is Gift, I am 18 years old. And I am very fine in the So, this is my story. I was a casino boy like that. So, my father died in 2011. Yeah, died in 2011. So, we stay with, with my mother. Centerpoint Church came to visit Breath of Heaven, and on that team was a woman named Rachel. Before the team left, Rachel told Gift, Gift, I am your sponsor. Gift was thrilled. I see Pastor Teddy in the gate. I'm starting learning, learning. I'll go and Pastor Teddy. I, I say, thank you, Pastor Teddy. You find me my sponsor. Thank you, Pastor Teddy, and God bless you. And God add my hands. And God give me a good girl. <laughs> Pastor Teddy, who? Who is your sponsor? I say, Rachel. Rachel is your sponsor. I say, yes. And the Rachel said, First thing, I'm going to be a new dad. Thank you, God. You answer me my prayer. I have my sponsor, Rachel. And my life now, 
I love it when he was living in a toilet for three weeks. He said, I never forget God. And by the way, just a little explanation. So I, that was my phone. That's why the sound wasn't great. And, um, and the picture might not be so quality. But they asked me while I was there, could you get two minutes out of this guy telling his story? It's so great. So I, I take him. I said, Gift, I need like two or three minutes of your story. And I sit at my phone. And he, starts, he talks for 30 solid minutes. <laughs> and I said, Gift, that was great. But I need it like down to two minutes. So you spoke, you spoke for 30 minutes. So let's try it again. So, okay. He's like, oh, okay. And he does it again. This time, 15 minutes. And then Ted said, Ron, could you like somehow edit that video down to like one minute? I'm like, okay. So that's why we inserted some, some dialogue to tell the story. But the story was incredible. Lost his father. Lost his mother. Abused by a relative, kicked out onto the street, living in a toilet, eating food out of a dumpster, worried about his sister. And he said, I trusted God. I never forgot God. And he never lost his joy. And if you were to see him today, you would think his life was perfect. He is so happy. And now his sister's living at Breath of Heaven, and God has restored. And I think that is a good example of how joy, well, like the brother said, joy is, uh, what did, how do you say it? It's, it's a defense against suffering. The joy of the Lord. Well, what was the cost for him? It was a combination of trusting God and also a heart of gratitude in the midst of suffering. And I'm telling you, this kid has joy. He has an experience of the joy of the Lord. Um, so I said the first cost of joy is trusting completely and obeying God. Trusting means obeying. And a second cost, I think, would be to simply practice gratitude and praise. Praise is, in a sense, the speaking forth, the making out of your mouth loud, a gratitude-filled heart. Gratitude and praise. Have you ever noticed the Bible is full of commands to praise? Psalm 33, sing joyfully, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous people. It's fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre or lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Shout for joy. Or Psalm 66, shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Psalm 95, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. A really wise man in the last century named C.S. Lewis, who became a follower of Jesus from being an atheist, and he was also a professor at Oxford and wrote a number of books. The most famous are the children's books, the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've read those. He actually was hired by the British government during World War II to do broadcasts on the BBC to the nation to explain the basics of Christianity. It's a wonderful series. You can hear it, but you can also get the book Mere Christianity, which is the 
the writings or the transcription of those radio broadcasts. In any case, as he was becoming a Christian and deciding, first atheist, then he starts believing in God, then discovers the Christianity makes the most sense rationally, following Jesus, he was bothered by God's constant command to praise him. He's like, is this guy insecure? What's going on that God says, praise me? Talk to me about me all the time. He was really bothered by it. And then he began to think. He writes a lot about this, but this is a short version of what he said. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. There's that word joy. Because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Praise is the appointed consummation of joy and delight. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. It's frustrating because joy is consummated, delight is consummated when we express it in praise. And he would go on to say, you got to tell someone about it because you say, did you see what I saw? Did you hear what I heard? And you share it. And that's why God is constantly telling us, praise me, have a heart full of gratitude because that is the pathway to joy. Because I am God. The one without beginning, the one without end, the one without fault, the one who's perfect, perfected in beauty, complete with joy and supply and provision and help and justice and hope and everything good is in me. So you might look to me because you'll find joy when you praise me. Does that make sense? He's the only person that can say that, by the way. Right? He, it, by the way, if God did not suggest that we praise him, and suggest that we praise something else, he'd be guilty of idolatry. Isn't that weird? But true. He has to get praise for the one who's worthy of praise, and he's the one. So, of course, he says, praise me, rejoice in me, sing joyfully, shout to God all the earth, sing his praise. And I'm telling you, a second cost of joy, there'll probably be more, but we're just doing two today, is to live a life of gratitude and praise. So you want to start out your day tomorrow with joy? When the alarm goes off and you go, oh, I wish I didn't have to get up. Oh, my God, I got to go to work. That boss, there's so much work. Oh, I need another hour of sleep. Stop yourself and go, oh, this is the day that the Lord has made. That means it's a good day. I ought to rejoice in it. Start out before your feet hit the ground. I do this every morning, people. I'm telling you to do what I do. Oh, the Lord is good. Okay. Thank you, Lord. For, oh, thank you for a night of sleep. Didn't get quite as much as I wanted, but thank you for what I got. Thank you that I have a job to go to. Thank you that I have a car to drive to the job in. Thank you I've got clothes to wear. Thank you there's food in my kitchen for breakfast. Thank you there's a kitchen. Thank you for this house. Why, I'm in a bed. Thank you for a bed. I'm not sleeping on a street tonight like some people are. Thank you. All of a sudden, it begins to shift because gratitude is praise expressed. And in it is joy. And I'm telling you, it's one of the most powerful things you have. It's a cost because you don't feel like doing it. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise. But the cost of joy is so worth it. Let's see how we do it on time. Can I give you a couple more thoughts or do you want to stop there?
Roy says more. Okay, Roy, I'm listening to you. Brother Roy. Prayer, Tuesday night, 6.30 or 7, what time? 7 7.20? 7.20. 7.20 in the lobby, gathered together for some great prayer for the city of Oceanside. Okay, here's a couple more thoughts. Philippians 1.23. This passage says that there is great joy in maturing spiritually. There's great joy in growing in the Lord. So if you want joy, choose to spend yourself on growing in the Lord. I am torn between the two, Paul. I caught him in the middle of a thought here. He's saying, like, I think I'm going to die, but maybe I don't want to die. I can't decide because I'd like to die to be with Jesus. He's in prison, and he might get executed. That's the context. I desire to part, depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, the faith of Jesus, growing in the faith um, the understanding of the ways of God, the understanding of the paths of God, the understanding of the character of God. That's what the faith is about. So that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ will overflow. Paul's talking to a church that he's ministered to and basically saying, listen, I want to go and be with Jesus. I'll be happy if Caesar executes me. But you know what? I guess I should stay because that'd be pretty joyful too. In fact, it'll be joyful for you and me as you grow in your faith. One more. There is great joy in seeing the fruit of your labor in the Lord. This is so true. C.J. Orndorff was here last night with um, a night of worship. C.J., if you don't know him, ministers in prisons to inmates around the nation, has done for at least 20 years now. He's an old friend of mine. And he brought a bunch of inmates last night, invited them to come that are now no longer inmates, but some that had spent 20 years in prison. One guy said, I had a life sentence, which means I'm never, I was supposed to die in prison, but here I am, and he started preaching. And what I saw in CJ was this, absolute joy at the fruit of his labor for the Lord, a bunch of men that love and serve Jesus, even though they were locked up in prison for crimes that they were guilty of. Paul says this, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you, the Thessalonian church? You are our glory and joy and a little later he says, how can we thank God for you, enough for you, in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? You know, we're called to make disciples. You've, have you heard that, by the way? Jesus said, you go around the whole globe. Make disciples or apprentices of people who are learning to be like me, Jesus, learning to do what I do, learning to say what I say, learning to have my character. If you want joy, make disciples. You will find great joy when you are spending your life to help someone learn more about Jesus and grow in the faith. And I'm telling you, it's absolutely exhilarating 
to see someone have the light bulb go off. They understand, and they're experiencing mature spiritual life that's no longer falling apart like it used to. Do you know anyone that was falling apart and you spent your life caring for them and they're not falling apart anymore? They're like living healthy. <laughs> they get up and go to work. You know, they're no longer living in the street. They, they have social skills. They know who Jesus is. They know what sin is and what not to do. They know what grace is. There's so much joy in that. That's why, like what you're doing, Snake and Michael, you, in, your, in your homes, I, you are making a way for people, if they want to, in becoming sober, to also become alive in Jesus, if they choose to. You're, you're there saying, you know, this is offered too, right? And when they do, it is so joyful. It doesn't get any better than that. So, you... We're created by the most joyful being in existence, God. In his presence is complete, full joy. He is all about joy. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being that sometimes bursts out into hilarity and laughter. But it's, it's a sense that everything is okay because God is really in charge. He is the king, and I'm in his kingdom, so everything is okay pervasive sense of well-being but it might cost you to get joy the first cost is to trust God with the entirety of your life even when what he asks you to do or not do makes no sense to you and runs counter to your desires with your sexuality ooh Ron did you say that yeah with your finances with your relationships with every area that you might be tempted to disobey God, trust him. The disobedience will not bring joy. That's a lie of Satan. Trusting him and obeying him will bring joy. That's the truth eternal. And spend the cost or pay the price of living a life of gratitude and praise. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's what I think I had for you today. I hope that will be helpful for your life this week. Let's stand together. Lord, we look to you. That guy on the stage just said a lot of words. <laughs> we still ourselves before you and ask you, Holy Spirit, communicate to the depths of each person in this room what you want us to hear, to learn, to partake of regarding the character of God himself. Holy Spirit, come please. Rest upon us. Speak to us. We love you. We worship you. We praise you for your good. We trust you. We hope you've enjoyed this message. 
This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.